give whenever you want to, and it'll be awesome. All right, we are in our third week of Advent. It's called, it's basically the, seat, the, the, uh, the Advent of Joy. It talks about the shepherd's joy specifically. And, and the idea is this, it, it speaks, uh, Advent speaks to arrival. So if you've not been here, let me kind of catch you up. Advent means arrival. So we talk about the advent of Christmas, we're saying the arrival of Christmas, right? If I talk about the advent of my FedEx gift, I'm talking about the arrival of my FedEx gift, right? Advent equals arrival, arrival equals advent. So as we go along, don't let me lose you on the word advent as we talk through it. It simply means arrival. And so we've been talking about the idea of arrival. I want you to hear this again if you haven't been here. Arrival speaks about the arrival of the first coming of Jesus, right? He came 2,000 years ago. That's what we celebrate. We sang about this morning. But it also primarily historically speaks about the second coming of Jesus, his second arrival. If he came here, he's going to come again, right? And so we celebrate that we live our lives desiring, expecting, anticipating, and preparing for his arrival. So we live every day as if tomorrow's the day he returns, right? We live in preparation and anticipation of his advent, of his second arrival. But here's the thing. If he came over here because he wanted a relationship with us, and he's coming again because he wants to live with us for, etern- for eternity, then we believe that he will advent every day of our lives and arrive Every day as we awaken again to meet us because of his great love for us. That he comes and meets us in the moment. And so we said three weeks ago, it's like, listen, there's the advent of hope that he wants to awaken. That we live with confident expectation that he is going to meet us, right? Last week on Facebook and Instagram, right, we talked about the idea of the advent of of love, that we can live with anticipation and expectation that every day we can awaken to the truth and the fact of his love being expressed in our lives. And so we we want to live with a hopeful expectation of his of hope, the hopeful expectation of love in this morning. We want to live in the hopeful expectation of the advent of joy. So, hey, your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 2. You all know this because Linus has made it very famous. And Charlie Brown Christmas, very familiar. You're going to hear it again in the holiday season. Luke chapter 2, again, starting in verse 8. You've heard this a million times. I'm not reading it in the version that Linus read it from. I'm reading from the NIV. So this may sound just a little bit different. It says in this, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. What's the good news? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude in the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. So this is speaking about birth. And, and I, I will say for in my life that, 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 that having <laughs> there is something truly amazing and profound about birth. As a parent, there has never been anything quite 
like the moment that both of my daughters came into the world. Now, today's a special day. This is actually Anna Catherine's 15th birthday, right? So beware, right? 15th birthday, we're going on Tuesday because the, the Department of uh, whatever, the driver place is closed on Monday, right? We're going on Tuesday, right? And so we're very excited and very scared, right? But, but it is an exciting time, right? And so in that moment that Anna Catherine was born, the moment that Sarah was born, there, listen, there was truly an advent of joy, right? There was an arrival of joy. And the interesting thing about the joy that I felt in the moment was, let's be honest, they hadn't done anything to earn it, right? I mean, you think about it, I mean, we're not going to dive into the gory details, but it's not over than an overly pleasant moment, the whole experience of birth, right? Like, there's nothing that they had officially done to, to produce joy, right? They hadn't done anything for me yet. They hadn't even, they haven't, hadn't held them yet. They hadn't said, I love you, Dad, yet. They hadn't hugged me. They hadn't looked at me at those big eyes, right? And I'm melting. None of that stuff had happened yet. Like, when, when they were, when they were born, like, I, I loved them before they were born, but when, man, when they, when they officially came into the world, I mean, screaming, all that kind of stuff, like, I just, uh, love them. Like it was an advent of joy. It was an advent of love that I could not name to this day. I can't, you can't define it, right? That's something deep and it's something profound because there's something powerful. There's something powerful about the arrival of joy in the context of birth. And so when the angels come in this moment, they're, they're proclaiming joy in the context of birth. And that's something really profound for us to, to recognize. As they come, they are proclaiming a joy. Now, in this, it's important as we talk about joy to understand what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about joy, I'm not talking about the fickle emotion of happiness that comes and goes like the waves. Like, I'm not talking to, you know what I'm talking to, the fickle that kind of comes and goes like the waves back and forth. Oh, oh. Right. I'm not talking about that. That's just happiness. That's not true joy. We a lot of times think of joy in that way, like the elation of the moment. But that's that's not what we're talking about. Because I'll say with the birth of my children, right, like there are listen, there are moments that are difficult and maybe even seasons. But at the core of my being, even in the difficult moments, there is still a long-standing arrival of love that I have for them and a long-standing joy, no matter what's going on, that they are still my kids. Even in the prodigal moments of their lives, right? There is still this inner joy and great love that I have that says I would still want them. Even, but even in the middle of this, I love them and they bring me a joy just because of who they are. And so when we talk then about joy, again, I'm not talking about the fickle emotion of happiness, like the way is coming and going. But instead, I'm talking about a deep down sense of well-being, a deep down sense of well-being, a peace that abides in our hearts regardless of the situation Good or bad. We're going to dive into this, this, this in a second. But when the angels this morning, when they, this, when we see this and they speak to the shepherds at Jesus' birth, this is what they spoke about, a joy that was for all humanity. 
It was a promise. A deep joy. This inner contentment, this deep sense of peace, whether good or bad, right? That was for all humanity. It was a promise. Like you understand how promises work from God, right? When he promises, he has to fulfill. So when I, listen, let's just press pause real quick. Like when I read a verse like this, it becomes a meditation. It becomes a meditation. Why? Because I don't know about you, but when I see a promise in Scripture that I have not seemingly embraced and held on to as an actual reality in my life, it caused me to press pause and go, is it God's fault or is it mine? Is it God's fault or is it mine? If he promises joy and I am not, quote unquote, experiencing that, is that God's fault or is it mine? And let's just be honest, it's very, very hard to fault God. Because he is always the same, he's never changing, and he's always pouring himself out. And so in this moment, right, then I say, all right, God, then there's something in my life, there's obstacles, whatever it may be, God, search me and know me, Lord, and let's dive into, because if there's truly an arrival of joy that came here at your birth, right, that we'll experience in its fullness of your second coming, then God, there must be an arrival of joy that's my inheritance every day of my life, and if I'm not walking in it, then Jesus, right, then there's something, it's not like my fault, like I feel guilty about it, but it's something, Jesus, I want to be awakened to. There's something that I've grabbed hold of, a lie that I believe. There's something, God, so I'm excited because it teaches me that there's something going on, Lord, that can be, that can be broken off so I can be awakened to so that joy can be my inheritance as an everyday reality. God, this excites me. I'm going to meditate and begin the journey towards the reality of your promise of joy in my life. So, when the angels speak, right, as a promise... That our lives could be marked by the arrival of true and authentic joy. But here's the thing I want us to see and focus on, right? I want you to hear this. The arrival of joy here is directly linked to the arrival of Jesus, isn't it? It says, again, here's the verse, verse 10 and 11 says, I bring you good news of great joy. So there's good news of great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. You see how joy is linked here. Joy is the direct result of the coming of Jesus, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Messiah, the one who was, set, was sent to ultimately release them and set them free. And so as we begin this morning, it's important for us to recognize that the meaning that, that, that joy, a biblical joy, finds its source wholly, solely, and completely in the person of Jesus. Therefore, another way of defining joy in the light of Jesus is this way, and here, here it is again. Joy is a deep-down sense of well-being that abides in the heart of the person who knows all is well with him or herself in the Lord. See that? deep Joy, a deep down sense of well-being, a contentment, a peace, a satisfaction that abides in the heart of the person who knows all is well between himself or herself and the Lord, irregardless or regardless of what's going on in my life. This is important. True joy, hear this, requires an eternal perspective. 
Joy begins with that eternal perspective. I recognize, I'm, listen, recognize that everything is based on who Jesus is in the context of eternity. So herein lies the greatest truth about joy. It is not circumstantial, it is eternal. Joy, the greatest truth about joy, it is not circumstantial, it is eternal. All of us understand circumstances, right? We understand, oh, things are going good, so things are good. Things are going bad, so things are bad. Right? And so we're, as human beings, we are all very much affected by circumstantial realities in our lives, right? And what do they do? They blind us, don't they? Our circumstances can blind us. They can blind us. They take our eyes off of off of Jesus and they put them on the waves. We use that analogy a lot the last several months, right? Takes our eyes off of Jesus and puts them on circumstances. And all of a sudden, our lives then are marked by circumstances and not defined by eternity. That's the essence of true joy. Our lives are marked as we go this to here. We see Jesus and everything all of a sudden has perspective. It may be difficult life, but in that I'm not defined by my circumstance because I've found Jesus. Or more importantly, and here's the beauty of it, he found me. Isn't that the greatest reality? Not that Jesus hid himself in a bunker somewhere like Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi, last Jedi and Ray had to go find him. We watched that night, last, night before last. It was awesome, right? And so in that moment, I don't have to go like track him down. No, man, it's like in this moment, he found me. And so in finding me, because he loves me, because he's near to me, right? And so there's this eternal perspective. Our joy is not defined by circumstances. It's not fickle coming and going, but true biblical joy is not dependent on circumstances. It is eternal. It's never ending. It is always present. So in this, true joy finds its source in our ability to live mindful and aware of Jesus' presence. Let me say that again. Good. I didn't know if I put, on, put it in here or not. True joy, it's not in source. That's bad. I wrote that. True joy finds its source in our ability to live mindful and aware of Jesus' presence. Don't worry, I'll fix that for the next service, all right? Again, true joy. True joy in your life finds its source in your ability to live mindful and aware of Jesus' presence in the midst of every circumstance that you have going on in your life. Morton Lloyd-Jones says this. Read this, right? Keep on going. Next, next one. Here we go. Here we go. Thank you. There is only one thing that can give true joy, and that is contemplation of the Lord Jesus Christ. This would be one of those picture-worthy moments, guys, by the way, on your phones. So you can have it. There's only one thing that can give true joy, and that is contemplation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He satisfies my mind. He satisfies my emotions. He satisfies my every desire. He and his great salvation include the whole personality and nothing less. And in him, I am complete. Joy, in other words, is the response and the reaction of the soul to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Like, I just asked, we'll just lead up there for a second. Like, do you believe that? Because, I mean, what it's basically getting at is, hey, true joy happens as I live my life contemplating, focusing on, and seeing Jesus. Because when I see him, it's like, and, you know, the picture is like, it's like this liquid joy of love that just covers and saturates everything in my life. And so my circumstances, by the way, very often the very thing that keep me from contemplating and seeing Jesus, aren't they? And so that's where it comes this responsibility. I have to fight. I have to fight to contemplate, to fight to see Jesus. I have to make space. I have to make time. Right. True joy finds its source in our ability to live mindful and aware of Jesus presence, contemplating him. Jesus is the source of our eternal joy. So in that, here's the next thing. Joy requires hear this. Joy requires a shift of focus. It requires a shift of focus. First, it's a shift off of self. Hear this. Scott Peck says this, learning how to grow out of our narcissism or egoism is at the heart of the spiritual journey. Learning how to grow out of our narcissism, our egoism is at the heart of the spiritual journey. The idea is we all take ourselves way too seriously. We all make, listen, all of us have our own lives revolve around us. What is someone saying about me? How are things impacting me? Why don't you think I'm as awesome as I think that I am? So I'm going to get offended that you're not aware of my awesomeness and and talk about it and think about it. I'm going to focus on myself and everything is about me. And listen, it's not just the millennials. The millennials did not learn it from themselves. Your children did not learn narcissism from themselves. They learned it from you because we all by nature struggle with egoism. And how, why do you get offended? Because things aren't going your way. Have you been offended this week? Offense is that others aren't doing or things aren't happening the way that you want them to towards yourself. Egoism, narcissism, focus on myself. It, man. It causes us to not see Jesus because if I'm looking at self and I'm only seeing life, hear this, if I'm only seeing life and how it's impacting me in everything, then who do I not see? Jesus and everyone else. I mean, there is a phrase, first world problems for a reason. Because we are so focused on us not getting what we want, not feeling what we want to feel. How many of you at Christmas get all upset because it doesn't feel the way it used to feel? How many of you get upset because, oh, it's lost, it's, oh, it's not exciting anymore. It's lost, it's like whatever, right? It's lost, it's Hallmark channel feel, right? How do you live upset with that? And do, again, do you recognize that's even itself revolved around me not feeling and getting what I want in a season that should be about me enjoying myself? I'll read it again. Learning how to grow out of narcissism or egoism is at the heart of the spiritual journey. We take ourselves way too seriously. John's words about Jesus are prophetic about joy being present in our lives. He says, I must decrease 
He must increase. The only way Jesus could, for John, the only way Jesus could truly become the Messiah that he was called to be was if John got out of the way, stopped interfering, getting in the way, and let Jesus be Jesus. I mean, do you recognize that more than likely several of Jesus' disciples, like of the twelve, may have been or probably were John's disciples at one point? I mean, there's a good chance. And so in that, he's like, all right, you can leave me and go to Jesus. I will, I will decrease, right? Because you must increase. Again, G.K. Chesterton says this. How much larger your life would be if yourself could just become smaller in it. Second shift of vision is towards the reality of Jesus' life. We've talked before about the way Jesus came at birth, right? He came, he came like one of us, not too much fanfare. He didn't come in luxury, not in pomp and circumstance, not in some showy, make sure the whole world is viewing this type way, right? He came truly as one of us. Joy comes when we contemplate the true story of Jesus, when we contemplate the story of him who, who came in an ordinary way like we did quietly, almost unnoticed by the entire world. His first visitors, they weren't dignitaries, but they were unremarkable, low social status shepherds who most people wouldn't even listen to or give credibility to in anything that they had to say. He lived with a normal working class family in a small town. Jesus truly became one of us. Jesus was small town Georgia. That's what he was, right? They said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Really? Who? Seriously, Jesus, the carpenter's son? I mean, there was nothing about his life, right, that ultimately presented himself being anything extraordinary. He was just an ordinary human being like us, right? right? Majority of Jesus' life is not marked, it's not unlike ours. The monotony and drudgery of everyday life, the work that we have to do, right? And just like our lives, be ludicrous to pretend that all of Jesus' work was exciting, that it was filling or was profitable. It is obviously wrong to think that everything Jesus did was easy, satisfying, and pain-free. And to be wrong to think that Jesus was loved by everyone popular and never had any enemies. Like one of my favorite, Justin the Mortar wrote one time, and he lived on a hill that looked over where Jesus' field was in his family house. And he says, I forget what year this was, but he said, I remember I could look down and see the exact plow that Joseph and Jesus had used on their field. And I thought that was so cool. Like he literally says, this is picture of the life of a normal, ordinary guy like you and me just doing his life. And so when we see Jesus, yes, it is right to think of him. He is Lord and he is Savior, right? We focus on those last three years of his life and all the miracles he did. But let's just be honest. The first 30 years of his life were really, really, really ordinary, just like mine, just like yours. And so when I then contemplate the reality of a of Jesus who, yes, he's Savior and Lord. And we're like, yes, but he's also normal like us who says tempted in every way that we are. That he's walked a mile in our shoes of experiencing difficulty. I mean, Isaiah 53.3, another really familiar scripture at, excuse me, at Christmas says this. He was despised. He was rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. 
When we contemplate Jesus, do you just contemplate the risen Savior who conquered death and hell and sickness? Or do you also contemplate the fact that he lived a life like you did? He walked a mile in your shoes. He was tempted in every way that you were tempted. Therefore, he is compassionate. Therefore, he is understanding. Therefore, he says, I get it. I've been there. I remember when we come to him saying, God, I'm so defined by my circumstances. I remember. I remember wrestling through my circumstances. And I remember turning and facing God. If you will turn and face me, I've been there. I understand. You're not alone. Joy has arisen and it's arrived in your life. It is present. Just See me because that's what I did. I woke up every day and says, I do nothing except that which I see my father in heaven doing because I contemplated and I viewed him and I saw him every day. And he's the only reason I could make it in the world. And he was my arrival of joy. He was it for me. Father with me. And I will be that for you. It's the arrival of joy. As we contemplate him. Therefore, the secret of joy is experiencing Jesus in the midst of everything. In the third century, an anonymous man writing a friend penned these last words before his impending death. He said this, it's a bad world, an incredibly bad world, but I've discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. He was about to die. He's writing this. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured his circumstances of the cross. Like James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials and temptations of many kinds. What? Like, do you see that there is a perspective shift? There is a perspective shift. That defines those who contemplate and see Jesus so that circumstances then don't define our lives. Situations don't define. But the knowledge of Jesus and our experiencing him in every moment then begins to define our circumstances. Wouldn't you rather have Jesus define your life rather than circumstances define them? And so this is what we give ourselves to. Jesus, as I sit in the moment of Christmas, in the season of contemplating the arrival of joy, as I sit in the moment, Jesus, and and I recognize everything going on around me, Jesus, in that moment, help me to focus on you and to experience the arrival of a joy that I can't produce, I can't make happen, that is not circumstantial, but it's simply a reality of me seeing you and then you overwhelm me in the midst of my good things and the midst of my bad things. God, I need your help. And so we come to him, but not not without hope because the arrival of hope has already occurred in Jesus also. Three weeks ago we talked about it, right? I stand desiring, I stand anticipating, I stand expecting at the window, preparing myself for his coming with the arrival of joys. I contemplate and I view him and I see him. So often we seek happiness in the spectacular and extraordinary. 
Yet Jesus was born as an ordinary baby in an ordinary family. So here are a few questions to ask us this Christmas season. What simple joys, gifts of the Lord, have delighted your spirit in recent days? Right, practically speaking, like we shift focus, right? Part of it is going, all right, God, let me actually be honest for a moment about the ways that you have produced joy, the blessings that you have given, the gifts that you had moved, that you've done. Because here's the thing. Sometimes joy finds a release and a breakthrough simply as I shift focus off of my circumstances to the reality of what God is already doing. Second question. How are you fighting for stillness? Like contemplation requires us being still to find him. Historically speaking, right, you know that one of the great actions of the church throughout history of like an action, something that we do, a discipline as we call it, right, a, a step that we take that re, like a breakthrough of God's grace is being still and contemplating God and seeing him. Like, I'll just be honest with you. Joy can't find its place unless we sit still long enough to actually contemplate and find him. Do you sit still long enough with him to find him, to hear his voice, to let him wash over you? Or do you just throw prayers up as darts on the go, hoping they hit? And the third question is, what defines your life, gratefulness or being unappreciative? Like, you know what I'm getting at. It's like I I live my life looking for the ways that God's moving to be grateful or to find areas to be unappreciative. You know what I'm getting at. And so part of this step for us saying, God, I contemplate you, God. Says so I come before this and I enter into your courts with a lack of appreciation? Really? Or do I enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise? Aware of what I'm grateful for because of his movement already. I would just say this season, you can either take this as another one of those sermons that belongs to somebody else. Oh yeah, they can experience joy. They just don't know what's going on in my life. What? Is that really the purpose of the cross, usually for everybody else but you? Or is it really, or did Jesus, the angels actually mean what they said? Were they actually speaking on behalf of Jesus? This is good news of great joy for all the people. It's joy. And I'll be honest with you. It already belongs to you. Already. Past tense. Given. It's not coming. It's already arrived. So allow him, even this morning, just to, for you to be self, very self-aware. God, I, I need you to put your finger on the things that, I, that I'm wrestling with. God, even my, 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 my places, I'm just so focused on self. Maybe I'm even aware of because I've been so focused on self for so long, I don't know how to focus off of self. What is it? Where is there a lack of gratefulness that God can reawaken? What are the simple joys that he's brought about this week that can awaken a real authentic joy inside of you? So, Father, we ask this morning that you would take the things that you're awakening, that, Jesus, you would take the things that you're doing, and Lord, we ask, God, like, a, like gas on a fire, you would just pour your spirit out upon us, and God, and, and quicken this movement into the arrival of joy. God, would you quicken, would you speed this up, God, so that we can find you, 
God, as we contemplate, as we slow down, will we find you quickly, Lord? I pray for those, God, who have not seen you and heard you and experienced you in a long time. God, we're asking, we're crying out from this morning in Jesus' name for breakthrough. We're praying for the gift of joy. God, the arrival of joy this morning, Lord. Would you stir it, God? Would you stir it in Jesus' name, God? We're asking for movement. We're asking for breakthrough. We're asking for them in Jesus' name that this would no longer be a year of sadness, no longer a, a season of despair, God, but there would be a breakthrough into joy that's unexplainable, God. In Jesus' name, through your power. Lord, it's your power that brings joy. We're asking for a release and a breakthrough of your power, God, to break down walls, the spirit of rejection. We break it in Jesus' name. Spirit despair, we say, be gone. Hopelessness, there is hope in Jesus. Run. Come, Holy Spirit. God, this is our destiny. This is what you long for. This is what you intercede to give birth for in your people. God is why arrival happened. Jesus, you are not passive. You are not weak. You are a mighty lion who wars in the heavenlies. And you war on earth on behalf of those that you love both your children and those who yet to know you. We praise you for it, God. Awaken us to the lion and the lamb, that you are compassionate and sensitive, God. You you were spent 30 years here as compassion. You understand us, but there you are a lion. You are the Lord over all, and all must bow before you. God, I command despair to bow. I command anxiety to bow. I command hopelessness to bow. I command fear to bow in Jesus' name. We will no longer stand for these, to the circumstances of these to define our lives. We look to Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. God's desire is to do these works this morning in response. We have our offering bats. For those of you who are new, we do offering right here. You've got to come forward, that box in the back. We just give us the Lord, leaves, tithes, and offerings, right? We have ministry teams available on both sides. What do they do? They are people like you who have stories like yours, and they just want to pray with you for the things that you're going through, no matter how small or how big they are. Number three, we have communion available right here. Communion is the expression of the good news of great joy. It is the, re- it's the reminder we remember his good news that restores the great joy to us. And so as you take this morning, remember the body and blood of Jesus, it is a reminder that today good news is for you and joy is there for our taking. And so as you take communion today, say, God, here I am. Your will, I want to decrease so that you can increase in Jesus' name. So you respond as the Lord.